Well, good morning again, and welcome to the Saturday Morning Show, our weekly get-together to talk about our most important and most basic function is the agricultural production of food and fuel and uh, clothing and wood for building. That's what agriculture does for all of us across the world, despite the coronavirus situation that is the first thing we look at every morning when we turn on the computers to check statistics. But uh, something else this morning, we have a couple of hurricanes, and uh, not the strongest hurricanes just yet, but certainly uh, enough to bring heavy rains to uh, parts of the Gulf of Mexico, and then another one in the Pacific, and I guess they'll call them typhoons out there, but we call them hurricanes, and we've got that to deal with in a couple of places on the planet so far this morning. Oh, and I do want to uh, begin with a uh, quick discussion on a project for high school students called the National History Day Project. And uh, classes uh, in high schools around the country pick a subject in the history and talk about it and enter into competition. And the uh, Junior Group Documentary First Place Award went to the Akron-Westfield Middle School in Akron, Iowa. They did a project on rural electrification, breaking barriers with the flip of a switch, and I had the opportunity to uh, spend time on the telephone with the members of that group from the high school in Akron, uh, Iowa, Josie Jacobs, Addison Nasland, Ben Phillips, Laney Shucknecht, and Hayden Wahlberg are the members of the uh, junior group documentary competition for the 2020 National History Day project to uh, acquaint young people with our history and different versions of our history. And uh, the class called me, and I spent uh, about half an hour on the phone with them talking about rural electrification, probably the biggest technical uh, addition to our society. I remember it well because the Samuelson Farm in Vernon County, Wisconsin, Finally got electricity on the farm back in, well, I can remember the date because I'm often asked what is the biggest uh, improvement in technology that I have seen. And my response to that is when they hooked up the Samuelson farm to electricity and we were able to stop using the lantern to do our work in the dairy barn and we were able to uh, stop using the Aladdin lamp in our kitchen so I could do my homework uh, for high school. And uh, with the flip of a switch at the foot of the stairs, I was able to have light in my upstairs bedroom. That's why I remember April 11th of 1946, and I was pleased because history and geography were my two favorite courses in high school, and uh, the rural electrification really changed life on the farm 
throughout the United States. So uh, thanks to the class of the high school at uh, Akron Westfield Middle School in Akron for calling that and reminding people like me of what the flip of a switch did to our way of life on the farm in Wisconsin. So congratulations to that class for receiving first place in the 2020 National History Day in the Junior Group Documentary category. First place. So congratulations to those high school kids out in Iowa for the national recognition they're getting. We're at 13 minutes after 5 o'clock. The temperature is 65 degrees on my thermometer outside my studio in Huntley, Illinois, on what looks like the start of a beautiful and a comfortable day from the standpoint of weather. And with the good weather, it means that uh, activity in the garden and uh, the front lawn is moving along rapidly because we're already uh, halfway through this quarter. And uh, the growing weather, uh, I've talked to a lot of uh, producers in the past few weeks, and uh, a lot of them tell me they have never seen such good crops at this stage in the growth uh, knee high by the 4th of July, of course, has been gone a long time in the corn industry. But uh, this year, we're looking at uh, a far better crop year than we saw a year ago. So what a difference a year makes. And uh, we'll talk about what a difference it makes to your gardens, vegetable and flower, when we come back because Jim Fazell is standing by and uh, we'll visit with Jim when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Jim Fazell joins us here on the Saturday Morning Show to answer questions that some of you have about gardens and crops. And Jim, the first question I want to ask you came from a listener who said, I keep hearing you talk about the good corn and soybean growing weather, but what's this heat and humidity doing to the garden this year? So I'll start with that question, sir. Well, you know, the heat and humidity are, are wonderful for any kind of crops, uh, whether they're vegetable crops or, or field crops or fruit production, whatever it is, because plants rely on degree days for maturity. And when we get this 90-degree weather, that's exactly what they want. Uh, we're not getting an awful lot of it this year. We're getting a day or two here and then a day or two there. But that was not unexpected because Greg Solier said we'd have some 90s, but no extended warm, no extended long 90-degree spell. Um, a couple of days here and there we can tolerate. Uh, but the plants like that, especially corn. It it. You can actually hear it grow out in the field when we have 90-degree days. But gardens are the same way. We've had a wonderful gardening year. Some of us have gotten quite a bit of moisture, enough rain. Uh, Some of us have had to go out and put some moisture on. Uh, We're fairly dry right now. In fact, uh, we got uh, a little over half, maybe three-quarters of an inch of rain early last week, and that's been about it, but it's dry again. So I was out uh, yesterday taking a look at things, and it happened to be the day when the when our address was an even number, so we could put some water on. And so I, actually, I did water a, a brand new tree and a couple of the annuals. But it's been a wonderful gardening year. The only thing I'm concerned about right now is I wish the tomatoes would begin to ripen. We we have gobs of them out there, but they're still green. So well, I'll tell you. 
I'll tell you that Gloria's tomato plant is doing well. We had tomatoes off the plant this week, so yours will get there soon. We've had one. So, okay. yeah, I, I, I think Gloria's right. She's good at this. So She is. <laughs> she's, she's very good. If she says so, I'll believe everything she says. So what about lawns? We've talked a lot about gardens, but uh, how are the lawns doing? You know, where we've had moisture, lawns are doing very well. As I mentioned, uh, some areas have had uh, a little bit of a shortage of moisture. And uh, you can let the lawn grow, go dormant as long as it doesn't completely die out. And that means that every week or so you need to put about a quarter of an inch of water on to hydrate the grounds. Otherwise, most of us have green grass throughout most of the area, maybe a few dry spots. Uh, even if the grass is not green and growing it does need to to be mown to remove seed heads and even the lawn up some grass does continue to grow and the weeds keep growing so it gets kind of ragged unless you go out and mow it seems kind of silly to go out and mow uh, a yard when three quarters of it does need to be mowing but it does make it look a lot better another thing you can do at this time of year is edge the lawn if it's not uh, taking a long time to mow it go out and spend some time doing the edging means along paved areas, also means around the flower beds and the vegetable garden. It does make it look a lot better if it's, if it's edged. You know, Jane and I do a lot of walking. We, we notice the lawns where the grass is growing across the, the driveway and across the sidewalk, and we notice where the people have taken the time to go out with their edger and edge, edge it so it looks very nice. Another thing you can do, the dandelions, plant, and so forth, they're going to continue to grow. I have an old dandelion digger that belonged to my grandfather, I think maybe back in the turn of the last century. Uh, that works very well. If you have a few of those weeds out there, go out in the yard and just dig them out. Put them in the recycler, actually in the garbage, if you don't want to uh, risk having them grow someplace else. And insect problems, too. Uh, it's, uh, grubs have been a problem, but they don't show up where the grass is green, uh, although that's where these grubs lay their eggs. Um, if you put on Merit or GrubX or one of those, that's fine. Uh, if you have not put that on, you need to check uh, the areas where the grass has been green in a couple of weeks. If you find uh, a dozen or so grubs down there under a square foot of grass, you can use Dilox. So all is not lost if you didn't get some of that early long-term stuff put on. Also, another insect that we're concerned with right now is the sod webworm. These little critters, are uh, the adults are flying right now. They fly about, uh, oh, waist high across the lawn as you're mowing. Uh, they're small moths. They skitter back down into the grass. But the females are laying eggs. Those will hatch in about six to eight days. Uh, and these little caterpillars will begin eating the grass. So if you've had a problem with those or you're seeing a lot of them flying, this is the time to apply some of the, the uh, controls um, seven, the old-fashioned insecticide we use so many years works, and it can be applied. Or any of the the lawn care products that you can buy, the dry ones that you run through your spreader, they work well. Another thing you need to do, when you're out there looking at your lawn, where you see areas that need to be repaired, this is the time to make a note of that so you can plan for the repairs. Uh, and and the, uh, the repair season isn't far off. We usually start that about the middle of August. And hard to believe it, but that's only about three weeks away. So those, those uh, things need to be taken care of. Those plants need to be made now. Uh, I mentioned uh, edging the flower borders and so forth. Out in the flower garden, there's stuff that can be done there. One thing I like to do at this time of year is to cut back the leggy annuals. This will renew them and improve the bloom for the rest of the season. 
If they're beginning to get a little bit of anemic, a little bit anemic, they can be fertilized. We use side dressing. Just put a, a little handful around the plants uh, uh, and water it in or scratch it in so that it doesn't get blown away. Uh, and then edge, as I mentioned before with the lawn, edge uh, uh, the flower uh, borders and the vegetable gardens and so forth. One other thing I like to do at this time of year, I like to put labels in on the locations where these plants are while they're still in bloom. So you can tell that this daylily is yellow and this Pasta has purple flowers on it and so forth. This is particularly true if you're getting ready to do some dividing because when you come to the time to divide these, you need to know what they were. If you haven't labeled them, you're not going to know. A lot of us still grow roses. Um, they're tough to grow here in this, in this part of the country, but a lot of us go through that. The last time you want to fertilize those is about August 15th, so it's time to put the last treatment on to keep them growing uh, through the rest of the summer, but not to keep them growing into the winter. And keep up your spray program on the roses as well. Into the vegetable garden. That's one of my favorite places to be. You need to pick the produce as it ripens, if it ripens. <laughs> I mentioned the tomato problem. Uh, there again, uh, these plants, particularly tomato plants that were fertilized before before they began to grow, really, uh, they need to be side-dressed. A pound of fertilizer per 100 square feet usually works pretty well. Uh, pull out the plants that are finished, put them in the compost pile. Be sure that you keep control of the weeds. We don't want those to get ahead of, ahead of us because they'll continue to make seed and there'll be problems the next year as well. And watch for the pests. As you walk through your garden in the morning, uh, make sure that you notice what's going on out there. If you have squash vine borers, Seven works on those as well at the base of the plant. Uh, if you don't want to use an insecticide, floating roll covers work very well because they protect the plant from the moth that lays the eggs. But if you do that because the bees are necessary to move pollen from the male flowers to the female flowers, you're going to have to pretend you're a bee with a little little pollinating. Take a, um, a male flower and rub it on a female flower so that you get, do get pollination. Um, Cabbage worms are flying right now. Bacillus thuringiensis, which we can buy a whole bunch of trade names, works for that very, very well. One other thing I want to mention is is records and planning. I talked about labeling your plants so you know what they are. This is the time of year when you take your notebook out and you record things that didn't work so well. Um, it's important that you record failures because you do not want to make them again. You need to list the variety that failed. Uh, you need to know, notice when you planted those things, where you got them, as a matter of fact. Did you buy that seed from uh, a catalog, or did you buy it from the garden center, or where did you get it? So that you know if you're going to, if you're going to get the seed next year, that you'll know where it came from and that you can get the same thing or avoid the same thing. Uh, make a diagram of the garden where the varieties are located in addition to labeling things, but in the vegetable garden in particular, uh, we want to make a diagram of the garden because there are times when you want to do some rotation, and if you don't know where stuff was last year, you're not going to know where to, to avoid it for your rotation the next year. Uh, this is very useful when you make these diagrams for planting your rotations. And there you can also uh, set labels in your vegetable garden, too, so you can find the plants, things like asparagus that you're going to cut down uh, or rhubarb so you know exactly where it is. And some of us like to take a photograph. Anyway, those are things that you do for planting for the next year uh, with your drawings and so forth. You might even prepare a seed list, uh, uh, list the plants you want to buy for next year. Uh, you know, I hate to say this, 
it's not long before the seed catalogs are going to come out. But anyway, we can be prepared for that as well. It's uh, always fun to look uh, through the seed catalogs to see what's new or see what's disappeared. But sure is. I've lost track of the number of times, Jim, you have talked about keep a journal and keep records. That's very important uh, in gardening or in lawn care or everything else, I would guess. It sure is. And, you know, uh, all of our farm folks uh, keep records, meticulous records, not just of what they grew, but what part of the field did well and so forth. Uh, and they don't do that because they like it to do it as a hobby. They do it because it's necessary. Well, it's not really necessary for us, but it makes gardening a lot more interesting, first of all, and it makes it a lot more successful if you can avoid things that, that didn't work uh, in the future. And I've done that before. I Before I really started keeping records, I had planted something and thought it would be marvelous, turned out to be terrible and did the crazy thing all over again the next year. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the best advice I've gotten over the last four decades from Jim is keep a record and add or delete from those products that you're growing in your garden. I've heard that. I've lost track of the number of times, Jim, but I know you believe thoroughly in keeping records and making journals. You bet. So we look forward to your visit uh, again next week. My golly, we're moving faster than I want to into summer. But uh, before you know it, as you say, it'll be gone. Our visit uh, every week with Jim Fazell here on the Saturday Morning Show. And we're coming up on the 5.30 mark, the halfway point of the Saturday morning show. Still a lot to talk about, including the market activity on agricultural products. And again, we'll talk about the summer of postponements and cancellation. I was so looking forward to getting back to the state fairs at uh, West Allis, Wisconsin, the Wisconsin State Fair, and uh, getting back to the Illinois State Fair. Uh, anxious to see the work that they have pretty much completed on refurbishing the Coliseum on the University of uh, or on the uh, Illinois State Fairgrounds because they have made a lot of improvements. Uh, some of them you can see, but some of those improvements deal with the interiors of the buildings that you don't see. But uh, if we're going to do it this year, we'll do it virtually. We'll not have the county and state fairs, but we will have virtual presentations. As a matter of fact, next week here on the Saturday Morning Show, I'm going to talk to the good friends of mine who are uh, part of a county fair in Yavapai County, Arizona, to uh, talk about the uh, activity of a virtual county fair. How do you do that, and what does it look like? And as a matter of fact, the COVID-19 situation uh, really hit home this week when the National Association of Farm Broadcasters, that's an organization I've been a part of since 1956, And it will hold a virtual convention in Kansas City in November. And so that means we'll stay at home and watch it and participate virtually, as is the case for so many activities in food festivals and county fairs and state fairs that are going on the year of the postponement and the cancellations. So... uh, 
on Samuelson Says, because it's that time now, we're going to talk about the impact of COVID-19, not only on the finances of farmers and ranchers and producers, but we're also going to talk about learning opportunities to uh, check what we'll be doing that will be different. And uh, we'll be talking about that next week with a couple of folks who have already done a virtual county fair. But as I've uh, continued to uh, suggest to you, if you plan to go to a county fair or a state fair, call the fairgrounds first because you may get there and uh, there'll not be anybody around. But uh, as a matter of fact, livestock will not be around because uh, they too are trying to keep the agricultural community as uh, prosperous as they can. So uh, that's coming up here on Samuelson Says. As you and I continue to work our way through the summer of 2020, the summer that we can call the COVID-19 summer, we know it has impacted everyone. It's a summer that we would not like to experience again, one that we would like to put behind us. I would, however, like to look more closely at agricultural activity. Let's go beyond the marketplace, the grain prices, the livestock prices, and look at some smaller events like county fairs, state fairs, outdoor farm shows, because these events mean a lot to the local community in which they are held. And to many families who spend the summer going from county fair to county fair to serve food or to run the carnival rides or the skill games that will let you win a stuffed toy, it means a summer without income to those people. And so we should keep them in mind as well. And the other thing we need to keep in mind is the fact when this is all said and done, maybe we have learned something besides the financial aspect. Hopefully we have learned something about producing these shows and programs in different ways. Many farm shows are going virtual this year. That means no people in attendance at big shows like the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, and all of the other outdoor shows. And if that's the only way we can currently achieve keeping the shows alive, then we should learn from these cancellations. Next year, if necessary, we will be able to handle livestock shows for 4-H or FFA kids and do it virtually. We will be able to handle the displays for the farm equipment manufacturers and the technology companies and other organizations that serve American agriculture. These are important ingredients to help everyone involved in the future of agriculture. So let's learn from what we're doing and learn to do it well. Again, in closing, be safe when you go to events that have not been postponed or canceled because you could be mingling with someone who unknowingly has COVID-19. So be safe, be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. 
And it's a presentation of the Nexstar Media Group here on WGN Radio Chicago at 24 minutes before 6 o'clock. And uh, the market activity, its it's been interesting, not quite the prices that we'd like to see for a lot of our commodities, but uh, we're learning every day. And as I've said before, this year, up to this point, has been pretty much an ideal growing year for the major crops in the Midwest, the corn, the soybeans, the wheat, and the other crops that take the kind of weather we have been enjoying or not, depending on how you feel about uh, hot and humid weather. But uh, all over the country, because during my visit to uh, Arizona earlier uh, this uh, month, I had the opportunity to uh, enjoy temperatures at 112 degrees, but as they like to say in Arizona, it's a dry heat, so we can put up with that occasion. And when people ask me why I would go to Arizona in the summertime, it's uh, easy to respond to the fact that in Arizona, they have air conditioning. Just like here in the Midwest, we have heat and furnaces during the cold winter season. So uh, we'll continue to watch the crop development. And actually, here in the Midwest, Wisconsin and Iowa are the garden spots of the Midwest with temperatures uh, that have promoted growth of those crops. And uh, they're doing well at this point. We are going to uh, take a look at what has happened on the agricultural market scene because Max Armstrong is back with us this week and he'll be talking to Mike Pearson when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Brian Bastig at Advanced Trading joining us this weekend uh, to visit about the market scene and uh, the opportunities we had and whether there will be more. Let's let's talk, first of all, crop conditions. Uh, One thing we notice as we look out there, Brian, uh, there are those spots that are hurting, but we have some mighty fine-looking crops in areas of Iowa, for example, and parts of Wisconsin. Some of the Illinois crop looks very good right now. What's your overall assessment in a nutshell? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Max. There were some very timely rains that arrived here oh, about a week, 10 days ago now, just in time for pollination um, around uh, central Illinois, for example. But we've heard that uh, noted across uh, many areas of the Midwest here that we're experiencing some dryness. Uh, as you mentioned, when you look at the, the driest areas right now appear to be western Iowa, as well as parts of uh, Michigan, uh, Indiana, and Ohio. However, when you look at the crop progress report that came out on Monday at 69%, good to excellent nationwide. Uh, That certainly is a strong number, uh, well above last year's number. And um, uh, that number uh, could be unchanged, maybe creep up just a little bit on Monday. It's hard to say. It'll depend on how hot it it does get this weekend. They were calling for some heat across the the core of the Corn Belt this weekend, but fortunately it's not going to last. So I would agree with your summation that uh, there is quite a bit of good corn right now and uh, has the potential if we can finish the crop strong to be, to be very good uh, as you move through August here. Is there any possibility of a return of uh, trader interest in, in a weather market, or has it uh, slipped past us here now as far as the corn market is concerned? 
I don't think we can we can say that it's, it's past is entirely max. However, I'd remind your listeners that um, you know we're looking at soaking progress probably as of this Sunday, which is July the 26th, approaching 80 percent in that neighborhood. So uh, that doesn't guarantee a great crop, and there can still be some weather issues even after a crop, as your listeners know, is pollinated. However, uh, that um, really critical time period for a majority of the crop probably has passed. So I think probably the the big wild card that, that everyone needs to be aware of now, Max, weather-wise, is uh, two things. That last 20% that hasn't pollinated, and then, um, uh, of course, as you get into August here, uh, we do not want to see a dry August. We'd like to see some, some uh, periodic rains to help with that uh, kernel depth and, and get some good test weight here. So there could be there could be some uh, market interest yet if if there is a weather scenario to develop with dry weather into August. What are what are the forecasts showing that you're watching at this point, Brian? As far as August is concerned, it seems like it's a pattern that's setting up. Max, as your listeners know, tends to repeat. Um, whether you're in a hot, dry period, it stays hot and dry, or whether you're in a cool, wet, it stays cool and wet. Right now, the pattern seems to be um, a few days of, of cooler, drier weather followed by a, a bubble, if you will, of high pressure and heat. But that also triggers rainfall. And so we, we've been in that pattern now for, for a few weeks, and it seems like the fo- forecasters we follow are suggesting that pattern may continue into this last week of July here and into early August with some cooler temperatures next week and then into early August, another bubble of hot air accompanied by some some scattered rainfall. So uh, overall, I've not heard anyone uh, be strongly of the opinion that it's going to be uh, anything uh, very hot or very dry or very cool or very wet. So I guess an equal chance of, of above or below normal. If anything, maybe a lean a little bit warmer than normal during August, but no, no extreme at the moment. And that's not yield threatening in any way. If I read you correctly, that uh, would only enhance yields uh, and, and give us a better possibility for a good soybean crop. Yeah, that's the, that's the critical thing, as you know, Max, as we get into August here, is that pod set and pod fill. The beans definitely need to, need to get some more rain in some of these key areas. Uh, of course, quite a bit of beans out there in, in the western Corn Belt uh, will need a drink of, of, of water here, and uh, the eastern Corn Belt will need a drink. So uh, I think the weather market definitely, uh, as usual, is more critical for beans in August um, than it is for corn, but, but not totally discounting corn either. By what date will most of the soybean crop be made? Look at your August calendar there and and make a judgment. Obviously, we've got double crop soybeans that wind up being a little bit later, some, some beans going in late. But when will most of this soybean crop have reached maturity and reached its yield potential? I always like to link at that last week in August. Um, I mean, there have been years, Max, as your listeners know, that we'll get rain and, and uh, as late as Labor Day and still still add to the yield. But that's that's probably the um, uh, not the not the rule, more the exception. So I would say that last week in August, you know, approximately 30 days from now, I think we'll we'll have a pretty good handle on um, whether or not we've seen, uh, you know, the flowers uh, produce a lot of pods or, or have to abort some of those pods and, and so on and so forth. But I think that um, give us 30 days here and we'll, we'll have a pretty good idea and then just some fine-tuning depending, of course, on what happens as we enter that um, uh, last stage in, in early September with any frost concerns or any flooding, anything like that. But 
But I think we'll know a lot by, by the end of August, uh, 30 days from now, in the end of August. We get a shot of hurricane moisture sometimes up through the Mississippi Valley. It can make a big difference. We've seen that. I guess maybe we ought to keep a maybe keep one eye on the tropics and see what could happen, perhaps. Boy, you hit the nail on the head. The year that stands out in that respect is 2012. Of course, your listeners will remember we had a disastrous corn crop that year, but we had a hurricane spin up from from the Gulf um, over Labor Day week, or excuse me, the last few days of August and um, in 2012. And um, not to relive some bad memories for some folks, but we had some beans that out-yielded corn that year because they got a good, good douse of rain at the end of August, early September, and that really made the bean crop. So you hit the nail on the head. I think any time you talk about beans, you do have to remember that those uh, we are in hurricane season now, and that can still help, particularly these beans across the Midwest, if it were to spin up here. Let's swing over to the demand side. The Chinese buying of corn has been impressive. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the biggest week ever, hasn't it, for, uh, has it been for sales of United States corn to China? Yeah, you're spot on, Max. Uh, one thing I'd share with your listeners is that uh, we're looking at a robust fall export program now in the works for corn and beans. Uh, we did uh, some comparison here with this year's USDA data of, of unshipped export sales of corn and beans on the books for this 2021 crop year. And it's about 1.24 billion bushels. And that's not only 65% above last year, but it's the second highest level ever behind the 16-17 crop year, which is 1.25. So we've really got a robust corn and bean export program in the works, as you said, um, largely due to China this fall. They have been known to cancel business in the past. We've seen that. Do we have to worry about that? And somebody reminded me the other day that no, uh, never mind the fact that they've been buying a lot of corn from us, they are still way behind the promises of the Phase 1 trade agreement. Yeah, those are both excellent points. It's it's not a an export until it's loaded on the boat and, and uh, obviously um, uh, uh, reaches port. So we, we can't, car, can't count our chickens before they're hatched, particularly as, as you accurately note. Uh, there have been some instances in the past where cancellations have been an issue regarding China. Um, we have to be aware of that. And the market, needless to say, with the volume out there that's on the books, will be keenly aware of that this year. But... Um, I, I think that uh, your second point is also valid, is that despite the uh, uptick in the sales we've seen in these last several weeks, they are well below that phase one agreement level. So it's an interesting balancing act here as we approach three months from the election and, and how China wants to wants to kind of play that angle. But um, a lot of moving pieces there in, in, in the markets as we uh, get closer to, to harvest here. Finally, ethanol demand. We saw it uh, recovering nicely, coming back after the COVID setback earlier in the spring. Has that plateaued now? What What do you make of our demand for ethanol, supplies of ethanol, and uh, that portion of the demand picture for corn? We did see a nice recovery, uh, as you mentioned, actually a very stout recovery from those from those very uh, uh, low levels that we saw back in the spring, of course, associated with stay-at-home orders. We were a bit surprised that the EIA report this week did back off ethanol production. Not quite sure what that was, but um, that may be an early indicator. You can't read too much into one week, but that we may have plateaued with some of the other 
area is now seeing a spike in, in COVID cases. So I think that um, if you look at a face value, the year-to-date totals, perhaps the USDA is a tad high or maybe a tad high, I should say, on their ethanol number for this old crop balance sheet on corn. But um, it's certainly, unless we really take a turn in the other direction to stay at home, we certainly don't hope don't want to see that. But I think it, 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 we may be pretty close now with the reductions USDA made in their balance sheet. Brian Basting, always good to talk to you, sir, and we appreciate your time this weekend. Take care of yourself. Always good to visit with you, Max. Brian Basting here, talking about the market scene. Brian is with Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois. It is 65 degrees on the uh, outdoor thermometer outside my studios here in Huntley, Illinois. Looks like a nice Saturday ahead of us, and for gardening or for... Well, anything but maybe going to a county or a state fair because of the COVID-19 situation. A week ago, I shared with you the loss of a pioneer in the seed industry, Owen Newland, who passed away. But this week, I have to share the loss of another influential person in 4-H because Grant Shrum, passed away on the 20th of July at his home in Alabama. But in a note from Jennifer Sarangelo, who is the current president and CEO of the National 4-H Council, let me share with you a little bit of what she had to say. She said, Grant is a giant of 4-H history through his gracious and humble leadership style. He will be remembered as a significant contributor to the exponential growth and development of 4-H in the 20th century. Grant Shrum, and I uh, did many interviews with Grant during his uh, uh, leadership of 4-H, he uh, joined the uh, Franklin County 4-H as, uh, let me see, 41 years ago, I think. But anyway, he became the National 4-H Foundation Secretary in 1955. He was instrumental in leading the merger of the National 4-H Foundation and the National 4-H Service Committee into the National 4-H Council in 1976, and he served as the second CEO of the council from 79 to 89. And under his leadership, the National 4-H Conference Center expanded buildings and citizenship programs, and 4-H grew around the world through a Peace Corps alliance and the International Farm Youth Exchange, the IFI program, and a new partnership developed between the private sector and Cooperative Extensions 4-H program, and he was inducted into the National 4-H Hall of Fame in 2002. He passed away at age 94 uh, earlier this month. So uh, we remember well the many times we spent uh, at a microphone with Grant talking about the importance of 4-H and its future. Okay, uh, one more report coming from Max Armstrong. So Max, come on back and share with us your knowledge. One more visit this weekend with Kurt Martins, Technical Service Representative with BASF throughout the season, Orion. We've had the chance to check in with Kurt and 
see how things are going at the corn and bean fields and to get some recommendations. I have to say, Kurt, and I, I haven't been making too many windshield inspections. I did through Illinois a couple of weeks ago, saw some damage due to the winds and heavy rains in some spots and some hail. But the condition ratings, especially when you look at Iowa and Wisconsin, to a lesser extent, Illinois, but Iowa and Wisconsin especially, they're 75%, 80% good to excellent on the corn and bean crops. Uh, can you confirm that for us? Yeah, I sure can. Obviously, I cover eastern Iowa, southern Wisconsin, northwest Illinois, and that whole area has been very uh, 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 blessed with some some good rains. Unfortunately, some of that has came at the cost in some areas with some wind and some hail. But overall, uh, things are pretty good. We've, we we cooled down time. It looks like pollination is, is going through very good. We do have a fair amount of disease pressure, especially in the corn, and I'm seeing it sneak up in the beans. So that's something to be careful of. And, of course, we're seeing the planes flying, and they're getting the fungicide on, which which they should. So a lot of gray leaf spot in the corn. We're seeing more tar spot sightings, and then we, we see a little bit of southern rust starting to sneak up through central Illinois as well. And then on the soybean side of things, we're just coming up on R3, which is the right time to spray our, our, our soybeans with the fungicide and the insecticide. And it's just in time because South Interstate 80, we're starting to see some frog-eyed leaf spot fungal disease that we see in soybeans so that's starting to come in so the timing's great the potential is 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 really good in those areas like we've talked about so it's, it's worth it you know putting that last investment into this crop to see it see it through until harvest right now to capture that potential where are we in that corn pollination process if you were to look along that i-80 corridor of eastern iowa northern illinois would you say we're we're half done with pollination or not quite yeah it's a, that's a great place to put it i was just walking some corn that was planted uh, uh, April 25th, and it's in the R2, R2 and a half stage, so it's done with pollination, starting to starting to blister pretty good. Uh, so your may may plant corn that we see a lot of in in, uh, in Illinois is, is probably in that mid pollination time frame right now. I noticed in the weekly crop bulletin back on Monday, actually, some of the corn, I, I assume this would be deep southern Illinois, but some of the corn, I think about 9% of the Illinois acreage actually had reached the dough stage already. I can I can believe that we have had some warm temperature and it's it's definitely pushing the corn along, um, but uh, we get some some cooler weather come along should help with our our grain fill period and uh, get a few more rains here in August and we can put a put a cap on this nice crop. While we talk about the rain in August, obviously being critical to the soybean yields, it is important too, is it not, to finish off the the corn and the test weight of the corn. You bet. Yep. Uh, a long, cool, and, and wet uh, grain fill period for corn is going to help add kernel weight and size to our corn. And then on the soybeans, obviously, help fill out those pods, retain those pods, help us get those last few bushels to get some of those, those bigger yields that we're, we're hoping we see out of these fields. And especially in comparison to the kind of year we had last year, this is a, a dramatic improvement. While while it hasn't been uh, flawless by any means, it has been a huge improvement over the year uh, that we had in uh, 2019 for, for many of our growers, especially in northern Illinois. Oh, just just a drastic change, Max. Last year, crop went in late, didn't know if we were going to get it planted. In some areas we didn't with prevent plant, you know, worried with that struggle all summer long. Always nice when we get our crop planted in a timely manner and get some decent rains to to keep it going and get to this point in the season where we we know uh, that we've got a a decent crop coming, and that always makes a guy feel good about what he's got growing right now. 
Keep scouting the fields, and uh, I would imagine you folks, uh, as you work with your producer clients, uh, welcome the opportunity to answer questions and uh, interact with them and get out in the fields with them. You do a lot of that, don't you? Yeah, doing that right now. We're doing a lot of poll- uh, checking uh, for diseases in the fields. We're checking to see how pollination is going in these fields, checking uh, weed escapes. You know, it, it really, when you think about it, we're already starting for next year. We're seeing what's worked, what, what hasn't worked, trying to finish this crop up as well. And, and get start playing for next year. We appreciate it, sir, all season long. You've been such a big help. Thanks a lot for joining us again this morning. Thanks, Max. Appreciate it. Kurt Martin's technical service representative for BASF.